Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. So there were no real major news with Bitcoin over the past couple of weeks, although one of the things that, Matt, I know we both both thought was really interesting was this uh, Michael Saylor audio clip that we had Mm -hmm. on uh, Twitter spaces with Bitcoin archive. And what we would like to do is play some of that right now and then have a discussion about that. Yeah. And maybe I'll just set it up a little bit, which is that uh, many times on this show, we've talked about the idea of Bitcoin being you know, one of the world's biggest computer network, if not the biggest computer network, the most powerful, the most secure, the most reliable. And we talk about these things, but um, Michael Saylor has a really, uh, really kind of elegant way of putting some of that into perspective based on, you know, on, on what Bitcoin actually is doing in terms of computing power and, and energy. So um, I thought, you know, we can, we can look at that uh, or listen to that, that uh clip and uh i'm gonna we'll play it and then at some point we'll pause it but the first part i think it's about two minutes um of him talking about uh bitcoin energy so here we go bitcoin's backed by nearly 300 exahash of hash power and it's backed by 10.6 gigawatts of energy now i say those words but people don't even it doesn't register with them what those words mean. So let me say it a different way. The United States Navy has 53 Virginia class attack submarines that have 30 megawatts each. It has 14 Ohio class ballistic missile submarines that have about 45 megawatts of power each. It has 11 nuclear powered aircraft carriers with about 195 megawatts of power each from their nuclear reactors. It's got 17 cruisers that run about 60 megawatts each and 62 destroyers that have something like 30 megawatts each. When you add it all up, right, that, you know, the entire Navy, the nuclear Navy, it's running like four and a half gigawatts, 4.3 gigawatts of power. Okay, so the Bitcoin network you know, we, we used to say that the U.S. dollar is backed by the strength of the U.S. Navy, by the power of the Navy. Well, it is. And now you know what the Navy is. The Navy isn't 10 gigawatts. <clears throat> Bitcoin is 10.6 gigawatts. It's like double the energy that powers the entire U.S. Navy. Uh, another way to think of it is a, as a full-on nuclear power plant might generate a gigawatt, a massive one. It's like 10 and a half full-on nuclear power plants running all out, but it's better because it's distributed everywhere in the grid and you can't identify where that energy It's more distributed than the Navy. It's more distributed than the nuclear power plants. You can't stop it. And when you combine that... Okay, so pause it there for a second. So what are your takeaways there? Uh, my first takeaway is that Michael Saylor is very gifted at delivering information. And as time goes on, he proves it's no fluke. And that was another, in my opinion, a classic from Michael Saylor. And it gives people an ability to think about the energy that it takes to power the Bitcoin network particularly compared to when you're comparing to something enormous like the U.S. Navy. So if you say something like Bitcoin is powered by 10.6 gigawatts of energy, I think almost nobody knows what you're talking about. And, and, and I would include myself in that almost nobody category. It's just very hard to conceptualize what that amount of energy is unless you're used to those kind of terms. So 
the two things that I thought were really powerful in that was that you had the power of double the Navy, which is kind of one crazy way to think about it. Yep. Or the power of 10 and a half large nuclear power plants. And this at energy, full blast. At full blast, right. And distributed. <laughs> it's decentralized. It's not really all over the world, but for the sake of this conversation, it's yeah, it's not a single location. It's it is distributed. And those are some pretty shocking numbers. Really shocking numbers. And it gives you an idea of the scale of this network that when people think of Bitcoin as being, what are they, what did uh, Jamie Dimon call it? It's like some kind of, I forgot yeah, the term I forget. to use. Yeah, but a scam basically. A, a scam, right. And then you realize that this supposed scam is using twice as much power as the U.S. Navy. Right. And then you realize that there are some people taking this very, very seriously. Well, and, and that's, that's a, yeah. And that's, I think the perspective it gives is that you realize Bitcoin is not using that energy for no purpose. It's using it to secure the money and to secure the network. And so mm -hmm. when you think of it that, okay, the, the energy use is there to secure the network, then you think about the fact that the network is being secured by twice as much energy as it takes to run the entire fleet mm -hmm. that sailor just ran through. Um, and it's, it's astounding. And then, you know, I, I couldn't say, I have no reference point to say, well, how much uh, power does a nuclear power plant generate? But, you know, I would think that given that 10 nuclear power plants is, is a tremendous number. Um, it's, um, it's an incredible amount of energy for sure. And it, and it really puts things in a pretty unique perspective. If you ask me. Yeah. You want to uh, keep going? He, now he's going to talk about uh, his, the other, the other power behind it. Mm -hmm. it. And when you combine that, which is, which is a wall of energy with another idea, which is, 300 exahash. Did that audio come through or not? It did. Okay, sorry. And and that's computing power. That exahash is driven by silicon ASICs that have, when we last checked it, it's 2,200 times the computational advantage of general purpose computers. So it's a 2,200-2x machine or silicon ratchet that's running. And what does that mean? Well, that means that how much computing power do I need to catch up with the Bitcoin network? And the answer is all of it. <laughs> all, like how much computer power? All of it, right? If you took all of the computing power of Microsoft and Azure and AWS and Google and Facebook and everything, all of it, you're still not catching up, right? So what we've established is, by, by the way, how, how, how much Navy do you need to catch up with Bitcoin? All of it. All the navies in the world maybe are starting to approach the power of Bitcoin. And then all of the computing power of the world isn't 10% of the power of Bitcoin. Wouldn't dent it. So this is about the, uh, the computing power, the hash power, the number of calculations that are happening, um, you know, constantly on the network. And I think we hit a new, new high of hash power um, within the past week, over 300 exahash. Um, mm -hmm. So we see that hash rate continuing to go up. Um, you know, it's gone up significantly just since uh, Sailor had this uh, this discussion about it. And, and did I hear him correctly that all of the uh, the other compute power together only equals about 10 percent of the Bitcoin network? Yeah, that's what he said, that it was 10%. Um, 
that yeah if you had all of aws and google and facebook and apple um you know pretty much all of the world's computing power it's not 10 percent of the bitcoin computing power and that's just a function of ASICs. I mean, ASICs are so, they're designed to only do one thing and they're really good at it and they're really powerful. And so mm -hmm. when you have, you know, however many computers you have running the, that hash rate, um, it, it's a very efficient use of, of, of those chips. So, you know, the ability to, um, to generate a tremendous amount of calculations is, is, just so far and above what any other computer can do. It's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And that that's a testament to the power of the Bitcoin network. So when we talk about the Bitcoin network being the most powerful computer network in the world, these are some of the stats that would back that up. And they're, they're pretty staggering. Now, in fairness, we don't know if these are accurate stats. We're going to, for that the sake true. of this discussion, we're going to assume that they're accurate. And we've also yet to see Michael Saylor make something up. Correct. Right? I mean, he has a reputation he's trying to uphold here. He's credible, he generally speaking. You know, I don't know if the exact numbers are correct, if the exact percentages are correct, but it's, you know, at a minimum, it's based on, on, things that he knows not things he's okay. making up well let's just say he's making it up let's just say that instead of the bitcoin network having double the power or needing double the power of the u.s navy let's say it needs half the power of the u.s navy okay well that's a lot of power i mean that's really a big deal so even if he's off by 75 percent you know even if you have to or a factor of 300 percent, right divide his number by four mm -hmm. right 25 percent of what he's saying would be crazy 20 percent of what he's saying would be a crazy number and the same goes for the computing power which is he's saying if i'm hearing that right that it's that all the other computers combined would be about 10 percent of the power of bitcoin mm -hmm. and we we also know that we've heard the stat before that if you gave all 8 billion people on the planet a hundred laptops, that would be about the power of Bitcoin. So if we want to extract from that, the fact that, you know, there's, they're nowhere near that many computers on the planet. Sure. There may be some more powerful computers than that, those hundred laptops per person. But I think if we were to extrapolate some of the math out, it would take us to around that same number. And, and I don't even know who can even calculate. Yeah, and, numbers. That, and at a certain point, I think this is what you're trying to say is that at a certain point, it really doesn't matter. It's just, it's so much bigger than anything else that it's competing with that it, you can put it in a class of its own. You can. And the other thing is that the hash rate keeps going up. And if you mm -hmm. understand how it's going to work and how Moore's law works and things like that, the hash rate is going to continue to go up and it's, it's approaching. I mean, I just don't think humans can understand those numbers. And if there are some people with these freakish math abilities, I'm sure they're there, but it's difficult for most humans to understand a million. Most humans can't understand a billion. And all, I've never heard of someone that could really understand the concept of a trillion because it's such a large number. Yeah. And we're talking numbers far beyond trillions. Quintillions. Which, what is a quintillion? Yeah, it's uh, like a thousand, uh, a thousand quadrillion. So a million uh, trillion. A million trillion. Yeah. Okay. Once again, these are numbers that are just bananas. And it's, it's really interesting if you think that before Bitcoin's really taken off, and we can argue how much Bitcoin has taken off, but I, I think that most people would acknowledge we're still so early. But sure. if you think about the power of this network and how much time, effort has been put into, but more importantly, how many resources are being put into it. And this is after China banned it. This is after there aren't a lot of friendly environments around the world right now. And this thing is just a monster. It's very, very difficult to catch. And it's also experiencing exponential growth, I would argue, in the hash rate. And, and it's going to continue to do that.
And the fact that you have these ASIC machines that are 2,200 times, according to Michael Saylor, Mm -hmm. more powerful than a general purpose computer for the specific purpose. They kind of only do one thing. Right. They're a one trick pony, but they're specifically designed to be a really great one trick pony. And you only need them to be a one trick pony. So uh, the chips in a Bitcoin mining machine can't process 4K video. Right. Can't do anything. They probably couldn't play solitaire. Right. But they can count. They yeah they can count they can guess numbers <laughs> so it's it's it, it's just a testament to where we are and I, I think it's also shows how little people know about what's really going on like if you want to say what's really going on around me if you were to ask the average person how powerful is the Bitcoin network I don't know probably say I don't know no clue. Or if you ask the average person, what's the most powerful computer network in the world? Maybe they'd say right. Google. Or, or what, what uses more energy, the U.S. Navy or the Bitcoin network? I mean. Yeah, I think that would surprise some people. Although I think with this, uh, this energy narrative that's going around right now, that, that something where maybe the people in Bitcoin world don't want to really flaunt that so much. Although we know that Bitcoin uses the cheapest energy possible. It uses a lot of stranded energy. It uses a lot of renewable energy and just the incentives of the network itself lead anyone looking to be profitable with this to find the cheapest energy possible. They have to yeah. find the stranded energy. To well, make and, it I, work. and I think that that's something that comes with, you know, starting to understand Bitcoin at a deeper level is that in my mind, I want Bitcoin to use as much energy as possible mm -hmm. because I understand the incentives for it to use energy and how those are structured in a way that um, is a good use of energy and what that offers to, you know, the overall energy landscape and the grid, um, the more that it, it can, you know, eat up in terms of cheap energy that would otherwise be wasted, uh, the better off the overall energy landscape will be. I agree. And I think that every energy provider, and I mean just about every energy provider, should have Bitcoin miners to stabilize their grid. We know what the benefits are. There's a financial incentive for them. So we can have a more profitable power provider. We can have a stronger power grid for the citizens. It's one of those things where everybody wins yeah. and the Bitcoin network is going to get stronger and stronger. Now, we know that uh, what's the, the famous line by Warren Buffett we've talked about on the show? Show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Mm -hmm. Right? So if we're incentivizing power producers, power plants to have Bitcoin miners set up to help stabilize their grill and to, prov to grip, stabilize their grid and to provide uh, revenue from the, uh, the mining operations. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, it's just a win for society and it's a win for the power providers. It's, it's really just a, it's one of those situations where there truly is a win all around. Yeah, I think we'll see. We'll start to see things move in that direction. There's a lot of a lot of talk happening at various power company. You know, those I think tend to be different state by state. So it's you know, it's not a. It's not like there's a cohesive effort to to try to implement something. It's got to go kind of down almost to the local level to be successful. But um, I think, and I think that we'll see that. Um, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about is that I think you'll see more cities and counties and, you know, smaller municipalities that have some ability to control their own energy output. Um, I think they'll have big incentive to try to do this. And it's a powerful incentive. I mean, it's, it's one besides for the revenue, just securing the grid. 
Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's something that all the citizens, all the residents of those areas should be clamoring for. That's a benefit to the world. Energy is life. And if you could also, on top of that, pay the power company, <laughs> the power company is getting paid. They're paying themselves to do it. Right, they're creating a revenue stream and that allows right. them to invest, to improve the grid, to uh, you know beef up the infrastructure, to do things that um, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do because that revenue stream doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's just, it's a much better way to deliver the product to the customers when you, you know, you don't have to worry about, um, having to scale back electricity or tell people not to, you know, charge their cars or use their appliances or whatever. It, it's, it helps people for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a energy provider convention somewhere, like all the nuclear power plant operators and all I'm the power sure. operators? There must be something like that, right? Yeah. I could imagine at one of their conferences, people getting up there and discussing how they can stabilize their grids and how they can increase their revenue by plugging in a bunch of Bitcoin miners. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think it's, we've already had the first one. And from one, it'll go to two, two, it'll go to four. I think you'll see exponential growth in there because I'll ask you this question. Let's say you were in charge of Matt's nuclear plant, right? You have a one gigawatt plant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a one gigawatt plant. So what would you do? If you knew this was an option, would you want to install this at your, uh, your gigawatt plant? Well, given that I know basically nothing about how a nuclear power plant operates, other than the fact that it generates steam to turn turbines to create electricity is basically my understanding of what it is. So, and I don't know how that works compared to like a, a more traditional electric company, but the answer is that if I don't have to run at full capacity or, you know, if I have to build my, my power generation at based on peak capacity, which causes me to have to run it hotter than I normally would in order to meet demand when it spikes, but I could actually offload that demand when it wasn't being used to mine Bitcoin, then it just makes absolute sense. Agreed. So these incentives are weird things. It's 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 one of those things that the the more you dig into Bitcoin, the more genius you realize it is. And I, it seems to be there's there seems to be no end to this rabbit hole. Like the deeper you go, the deeper it goes, and you realize it's more and more genius. And I think the the built in incentives inside of Bitcoin are just brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a little longer on that. I think, are we, you want to listen to the rest of that clip? Sure. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put that on there. Hold on. And then when you look at the cryptos, you know, that, that attempt to compete, you've got a handful of proof of stake networks. And the last time we calculated, we, you know, we calculated, said, well, if Bitcoin is Mount Fuji, this next one is like a, grain of rice and the other one is like a housefly like you might you know the biggest proof of work network other than bitcoin and it might be a a toaster compared to mount fuji and and that's the good ones right that's the the few dozen that <clears throat> the dozen that might actually have something backing them and then when you go to the air tokens the proof of stake tokens what are they backed by? They're backed by three people, if you're lucky. Eight people, right? Two people. FTX was, and SRM and SRM and FTT was backed by one person, one person's whim. And, and so this is going to be <clears throat> such a teachable moment, right? So vivid when people say, you know, what is what is uh, responsible? Well, 
I want all the computer power in the world and all of the energy that the U.S. Navy could muster. And I want it to be distributed across millions of nodes to defend my money. That's what Bitcoin is. And what is the rest of crypto? The rest of crypto is what Sam Bankman-Fried was. And what So, yeah, that was uh, then the last part was his comparison to all of the other cryptos. What was your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, again, I, I think he's just, you know, he loves to make these kind of obscure analogies. I don't know if the Mount Fuji compared to a grain of rice or a toaster is, you know, I, I like the U.S. Navy analogy better. I thought mm -hmm. it was more uh, mm -hmm. more enlightening. But um but I think what he's generally saying is there Bitcoin is so far ahead of any of these projects. And he specifically is referring to ones that are, um, you know, more established, call it the top dozen mm -hmm. coins other than Bitcoin um, that may have, you know, some amount of longevity to them or some actual utility down the road. I don't know. I don't really you know, spend time understanding a lot of those coins. So I can't speak to that. But I think the point is that it is that the Bitcoin network is so far head and shoulders above any of the other cryptos and the decentralized nature of it is so much greater than any of those networks. And, and you know, that was a, I thought that was an interesting point is you've got, you know, who knows how many nodes all over the, the world and you know those other top dozen cryptos if you're lucky there's eight people in charge of it you know maybe maybe two people in charge of it and that is a centralization of power that just doesn't exist with bitcoin which makes it much better um in terms of kind of keeping the keeping it honest yeah i think it was uh it regardless of whether the analogies or the size comparisons are accurate, I think it's what he's trying to Now, when someone sees a listing for a, I'm going to call it a token or crypto on their phone, let's just, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll use FTX for this example, right? So you open up your uh, crypto price app, whatever that's called. And it has Bitcoin on there. It has Ethereum on there. It has Litecoin, it has Solana and Cardano, et cetera. And then you can add in what you have. And let's say you add in for the sake of this discussion, FTX. Okay. And so you open up this app on your phone and you see the different prices for the different crypto assets. And Bitcoin's one of them. Well, when you see FTX on your phone, and let's say it has a price of 100 you don't know, it doesn't really look that much different than Bitcoin on your phone, right? It's got different letters. It's, it's worth less. But nothing can convey how serious or not serious or how powerful or not powerful that particular asset is. Meaning to a lot of people, they just look the same. It really makes no difference, and we know because we've talked to people about this. And right, and a lot of these, a lot of people that view it that way are just they're traders. Basically, they're right. looking to be in and out of things, and to you know, exactly to to buy low and sell high and get lucky. And that's exactly that's different exactly. than what we're talking about. Yeah. Very different than what we're talking about. And so my point is that with with Michael Saylor highlighting this, it it, it kind of gives an idea that. Bitcoin at the top being Mount Fuji and then FTX being there. And in size and power and support, it's like a grain of rice or a house fly or a toaster. Mm -hmm. And in thinking of putting a grain of rice up against a giant mountain, I think gives the perspective. And I was actually thinking as I was listening to it that he could actually be right. Like mathematically, that could be right. Like the power of the Bitcoin network could really be that much bigger than some of these other 
just garbage, nothing things that just kind of function, but they're, they're not about anything really serious or purposeful. And then you have this, this unicorn that's out there. That's the, the world's most powerful computing network. Once again, the world's most secure, the world's most reliable and the one that uses it, 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 the the power is a testament to how many machines are hooked up to keep it running. Mm-hmm. And there's no one in charge of that. We just can't say that enough that this is all decentralized. There, there's no one in charge. It's just a an app that runs, and this app pays you in real money. And because the app pays in real money, and we say real money, the app pays you in Bitcoin, which we consider to be real money in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. something that has a real tangible value. And if you want to convert that real money or that Bitcoin into fiat money, you could do so very easily. So obviously, it is a profitable thing to run miners. It's obviously more profitable at different times. It's obviously more profitable if you're paying less for your energy. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is, most miners do profit on it. And, and not necessarily every minute of every day, but over the long term, we've seen the miners being profitable. And with that, I think we should pivot a bit to another area where the miners are making fees Mm -hmm. and that is the ordinals yeah this is uh this has probably been one of the hottest topics in bitcoin the past past few weeks um and we did talk about it on our last show but um just as a reminder ordinal inscriptions are the ability to include data within a uh within a transaction by um attaching it to attaching data to a specific Satoshi and creating essentially an NFT um, on the actual Bitcoin blockchain. And there's been a good amount of controversy around ordinals because they do take up more space. They are not monetary in nature, meaning that, you know, you are using space on the blockchain to do things other than send money from one place to another. Um, But, you know, the counter to that is, the software allows you to do it. And with Bitcoin, you, you know, you live by the rules of the software um, and you can run whatever code you want to run. So if enough people decide that they don't like that code, then, you know, that's a different discussion. But, um, you know, I, and I think our takeaway initially was that this is kind of a free market problem that will get resolved um, either by the market deciding that this isn't something that they want to support or, by allowing people to pay the transaction fees associated with putting these things into a transaction. And so if, you know, if people are going to pay higher transaction fees to get their uh, data inscribed into a specific Satoshi in a block on the, on the blockchain, then, um, you know, they're going to most likely have to pay some sort of a premium for that. And then the, the last thing that, that, is kind of one of the components of this is what does this do, you know, long-term to, to the size of the blockchain. And I think Mm. we've pretty much determined that, 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 that it's not really, that's not really a major factor. Um, Even if all the blocks are full, um, then you're not looking at, you know, somebody running a node running out of space imminently. Um, But I think one thing that, that we've talked about, and maybe we can talk about a little bit is, you know, what does it actually mean? Are you, are we, by allowing these into the blocks, are we keeping other things that maybe are more relevant to the Bitcoin monetary platform? Um, are those getting kept out or taking longer to, to settle because we're, you know, loading the, the blocks with these other transactions? Yeah, I think that's the, the million dollar question right now is can these, uh, inscriptions or ordinals push out transactions or are they just there to fill in the rest of the blocks and i think i know the answer to that we were looking it up and we couldn't find it but as i think through it 
I think that you just have a transaction on the network. And with that transaction, you're able to put uh, a certain amount of extra data. And we already have services that are set up to help you do this because one of the things we did discover as we were looking into this is that it's kind of a quirk, quirky and difficult process to do. Mm -hmm. this. It's not very simple. And so people are paying $50 to several hundred dollars depending on the size, depending on the file size. So there is, uh, there's a business set up around this where people can, others can make money. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and because of that, that makes a little more seriously. And then, uh, Luxor Technologies acquired a company called Ordinal Hub to -hmm. provide tools for Bitcoin based NFTs. So I, I know you and neither you and I are very big into NFTs. But they're there. They have a thing. I don't know how much they're like trading cards. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's really into trading cards. And all it really is is a piece of cardboard with a picture on it and some stats on the back. But there's a, a giant, giant ecosystem set up around that. And there are people that really enjoy it. And I think the same goes for these NFTs that they may not appeal to you and me because we think they're trivial, but they are appealing to some. And I'd also like to add into that. And I'm going to ask you this question, the Genesis, the Genesis block of Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. January 3rd, 2009, contain the language chancellor on the brink of second bailout mm-hmm. or was a chance on the brink of bailout. I don't remember, but, but it, it really chance on the brink dot, dot, dot. Right. Yep. So the very, very first transaction or anything that occurred on the Bitcoin network had an inscription. Correct. By the creator. So, it's hard to argue that this was not one of the intended purposes, the ability to send a message if the if the creator did it with the very first thing they did. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if if you think of Bitcoin as a messaging system, it's, you know, it's like you write an email program and this is the ability to include an attachment. It's, it's a logical um, part of the puzzle. Um, it's not necessarily something that it was designed to do for its primary function. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that, that it is the primary function of the network at this point. But, um, but like I said before, it's the software is written to allow you to do this. And so um, the market has to deliver its verdict on it. And I, and the one other thing we didn't really talk about specifically is that, you know, I think, and I think the answer to the question, um, because I think it's a hard one to answer, is it preventing other transactions? Well, I think what it does do is it, it can cause overall transaction fees to go up. Um, mm-hmm. So it could cost you more to get your, um, your transaction confirmed, but that's the way that the Bitcoin network has always worked is that you, there are different points in time when depending on how, you know, how full the mempool is um, if you need to get something settled in the next couple of blocks, you have to set your, um, your fee high enough to where it'll get in there. And I don't, you know, I don't know that miners uh, are going to discriminate against the content of a transaction so much as they'll discriminate on the fee that someone's willing to pay. And, you know, if it turns out that uh, miners won't accept transactions with inscriptions in them, unless they have a really high fee, then, you know, that could affect the people that are doing the inscriptions, but it could also cause, if there's enough of them, it could cause all the fees to go up for sure. Mm -hmm. Now I saw a thing, I think it was in the past week that, Miners have made about $600,000 in fees um, based on inscriptions being included, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. And that, um, you know, and that close to 50% of block space is being used for ordinals. So it's, 
if 50% of block space is being used, the question you have to ask though is how much block space was being used before that? And if there was excess space, which was a more common thing before this, um, if there was excess space, then is it really a bad thing for that space to get filled and the fees to be earned by the miners? Yeah, I think that if you look at this in one way, this the ordinals have not changed the rules of the Bitcoin network, right? They can't. Mm -hmm. Correct. They can only play by the rules that are there. Mm -hmm. So we know that if they're playing by the rules that are there and we know that Bitcoin's open, then it's it's basically okay. It's There's no issue with it. I don't want to say it's legal, but it's not like someone's trying to hack it or do something that is not intended for. Now, we may think that it was not intended for this purpose, but what if we had a conversation with Shitoshi Satoshi Nakamoto and he or she or they said, yeah, that was the we wanted to have inscriptions in there. We wanted to be able to include things in there. Now, the block size has changed from what was done initially. Right. Right. But in today's world, if the block size goes from an average of two megabytes every 10 minutes to 3.5 megabytes every 10 minutes. It's really neither here nor there. And there's also been a thing talking about what's going to happen when the mining rewards go away. Mm -hmm. How, who's going to be there to support the network. And what we're finding is that maybe this was one of the answers. I, I know that some of the Bitcoin maxis might think this is heresy and how can you have this? And it should be transactions only, but if it's going to help support the network, if it's going to help increase the hash rate, mm -hmm. then I say, sure, I'm all for it. And with the caveat that if it doesn't work out, they're going to soft fork it. Like if, if, if you break the toy here, right. there is a solution. It's not a difficult solution to implement. Then they'll, they'll introduce BIP, whatever, 349. People will vote on it. We'll see how that vote turns out. Right. But, you know, you need this over overwhelming consensus. So I, I'm, I'm kind of moving in the, on my opinion on the ordinals right now to, where the last time we looked at them thinking like, okay, is this thing just a fad and it's just silly. Like people are doing it just because they can. And now we've seen, what is it? 165,000 ordinals on the network and companies mm -hmm. set up to do it and, and a real shift in the block space. Like it's not, it wasn't a curve up. It was just a simple step. And this is the new reality. Right. And that new reality the downside to the new reality is higher fees, right? Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but every transaction on the network, you pay for the transaction size. It's a fee per byte. It's virtual bytes and it's the way the fees work. It, yes, the data that is included in the transaction determines the amount of fee. But wouldn't the size of the ordinal then, if you've got a, a larger ordinal file, demand yes. a higher fee yes right well so you you'd be but it's also the the fee rate is really what's the kind of the important piece here that we're talking about which is you know how much are you paying per virtual byte now if you have but yes if you have um more data within the transaction then you're going to pay more just right. like if you have a multi-sig transaction that's going to cost more than a single signature right. transaction because there's more data in the signature block. Right. But if you add a 200K file to your mm -hmm. transaction, you have to pay for all that 200K. It's a more expensive transaction, right? Yes. So you're paying for what you use. The network is set up that way. No one twisted yeah. the rules or anything. And, and then the other thing that, you know, we're not anywhere near there yet, but, you know, I would argue that there could be practical applications for this. Um, 
you know, that this is, that there, there is actually, you know, and the idea of the ordinals is a, um, you know, you're tying data to a particular Satoshi. Um, and there's a, there's actually a method of figuring out, you know, the order of each Satoshi. And so you have the ability down to a very small, um, point in time to be able to memorialize something. Um, and so, you know, that may have a practical application. It could be a way to record public records or, mm-hmm. you know, or to post things legally. I don't know. And, and maybe that happens on a different layer that then settles somehow to the, to the main chain. I don't know. Um, and I think that's, you know, some of the, so I've heard this as both a for and against inscriptions is that, um, you know, the data is stored on chain. So you've got this uh, permanent record on the main chain, whereas with the Ethereum based NFTs, they're basically stored off chain um, with just a, uh, you know, basically a hash that points to a transaction containing that data Um, that, you know, so if you have the private key to that transaction, then, then you can prove that you're the owner of that NFT, but it's not on the actual main blockchain. So, so I could see that as being a plus or a minus. I mean, if it, you know, but what it does is it actually establishes the, that property existing on chain, whereas, you know. So if I were to send you a, if I were to send you a transaction with an inscription and let's say that inscription is like a 80 K pixelized graphic nft right that that bitcoin is going to go into your wallet right Mm -hmm. when i send it to you so how do you view that inscription i think you have to basically extract the data that's in the in the input of the transaction so go ahead yeah so within the within the um the block you're able to you put that data in the witness section and um and then it can be extracted uh i mean there's i was actually looking at this like from a transaction basis you can see if you you know go into a block explorer and you want to drill down into a block with an ordinal in it you can see um you know, have you ever had a, uh, like received a picture in an email and it got screwed up and all you see is a bunch of letters. It's basically that, but in the, in the transaction. And so you could use that same, you know, combination of characters to open that data into, you know, a, a photo viewer that would show the JPEG. So it's, um, and then there's also like a, uh, a, a code that's a A to Z lettering that, uh, that associates that transaction with the certain Satoshi and like the, um, and there's also kind of a protocol to that. So there's like all these little things that, that, that you can point to that, that kind of allow you to view that, mm. that data. And you can, and it doesn't have to be, you know, visual data. It could be text. It can be, mm-hmm. it could be software code. You could put a mm. script into there. It's all kind you know, mm. it's just, any amount of, of data that you can, that you can send. Um, it just has yeah, to I mean, be extracted. I, I, I could argue that in some ways it's like adding a message to your Venmo transaction, right? So I send you a hundred dollars and I tell you it's for pizza, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that when you see the hundred dollars coming for me, that it was for pizza and I could see Bitcoin wallets being, sort of like that in the future that you see these transactions coming in and someone tells you what that's for. It's not so far-fetched. It almost seems like it's a good idea. Well, look, I mean, what you're you doing know, it for, if, right. Right. And, and, yeah. So like on Venmo, you know, I don't, there are people that make their transactions public on Venmo. I don't know why, but you know, if bizarre. you scroll through that, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but if you scroll through that, you know, you'll see, a pizza emoji attached to a payment, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and so it, it, it's really not different than that. The difference is really, is that 
the intended use. That's where what the, where the debate comes down. But if someone's willing to pay for it, and if you know, if putting the pizza emoji on the payment message is important enough to you to where you're going to pay an extra dollar to do it or however much, then you know, that's that's the free market at work. That's that's agreed. It's just there's there's no reason to get crazy with it, and you also don't know what the unintended consequences are for this down the line. Maybe they're positive, maybe they're negative. I think with Bitcoin, people are very, very sensitive as far as any changes. Anything that's not pure Bitcoin on level one, people get pretty crazy. <laughs> level two and level three solutions, I don't think people care that much. And that's for good reason. But Right now, I think I'm kind of changing my opinion on the ordinals, and I'm I'm okay with them for right now. We'll see where it goes. We'll see if there's bad things that come from this, because I could think of bad things that you could put in the inscription. I don't want to get into those here. I know you <laughs> and I discussed those earlier. You can you can put all kinds of bad stuff up there, and. And maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe there's going to be services that come along and help read Bitcoin inscriptions, right? They'll go mm -hmm. into the blocks and say, here's your picture at this thing. I mean, if, if I can imagine it, it'll be there, right? If I can <laughs> right. think of it, someone's already building it. So right now, I think that the ordinals are, are a little bit fascinating. And we're going to have to see where this goes, but... It, they're definitely taking off. If you think they're going away, I do not. I think yeah, that they've permanently changed the size of the Bitcoin blocks. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, all right. What? Uh, anything else? What's our next topic? Well, the only other thing we've seen going on is in Nigeria with their CBDC rollout, which apparently is going horribly, which is mm -hmm. very, very, very good news because CBDCs have, I'm my, my opinion on CBDCs is CBDCs have no place in this world. They are just simply the end of freedom. Yeah, I agree. There's no reason for a CBDC except for surveillance and control. Money is digital already. Most people, when they're interacting with payments, aren't paying cash. Cash is a tiny, tiny part of things. Right. So we already have digital money. So all all CBDCs do is add surveillance and control. And, and what I think is really interesting about the Nigeria situation is that the people aren't being fooled by it. They really don't yeah. want any part of it. I, I saw that uh, they were estimating that like a half of 1% of the population had adopted the CBDC. Yeah, it's it's very small. And I had a thought. I know Nigeria is one of the youngest populations in mm -hmm. the world. But still, can you imagine implementing something like this and, and having people's money on their phones, which they don't understand, and also which the government doesn't have the technical ability to really provide. So they're actually right. – they're, they're having technical issues and they're reaching out to a new company to try and implement this. And, and uh, we've heard this discussion before from people who are, uh, I, I think we heard it from one of the Bitcoin devs or someone like that, that uh, we may have heard this at the fireside chat that mm -hmm. about CBDCs that the government sucks at tech <laughs> and, and I think there's a really, really important thing here is that if the governments roll this out and there are errors and glitches and people can't get to their money, people freak out. This yeah. is not like other things. People get really, really touchy when it comes to money. And that's just genetically why we're hardwired that way as humans. Even other animals are like that. Right, you have a dog sure. with a bone. You take that dog, the bone away. That dog's gonna bite you. Sure. You had a dog that bit me when I took that <laughs> bone away. I was, yeah. I was dog watching, and, <laughs> and uh, the dogs that I knew really well, and they had a bone. They, they didn't want me taken away. 
Yeah. So this is just wired into animals. And so when you have that kind of stuff, that that's something you can expect. And so I'm, I'm all for the CBDCs rolling out and crashing and burning as much as possible. And I'm happy to see that in Nigeria. But there's another interesting happening in Nigeria, which you got to the bottom of, which is this rumor we've been hearing that Bitcoin is trading at like 50% higher rate, like Bitcoin trade about 36,000 a coin there. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't use your government bank accounts to buy Bitcoin. You have to do it peer to peer. And so people are charging a premium for that. And in a country which is starting to get the CBDC, uh, it's very interesting to see how they are turning to Bitcoin and how Bitcoin becomes a premium asset, an asset that people are willing to pay a premium price for above market rate. And this has been our thesis for a good while now that people are don't understand Bitcoin. People are not going to understand Bitcoin. People don't right. want to spend a hundred to a thousand hours studying Bitcoin to really get their head around it. But what people can understand is f- money that I'm free to use and do whatever I want. And money that I may go to use and find it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And those are two very, very different options. And that's what people will understand. Freedom money versus government controlled money. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're seeing that. And where the uh, the numbers got off a little bit on the on the premium that people were talking about is that the the pricing kind of the exchange rate they were using for the Bitcoin was tied to um, a Nigerian currency that is not really stable and is not what it should have been compared to. And there was somewhat of a premium, um, but it wasn't as big as it was made out to be. It was just that it was kind of being priced uh, incorrectly based on, on some more volatile currency. Um, but, but I think the more interesting story is like you said, the CBDCs. the other thing is that the, one of the reasons that a lot of those transactions are increasing um, in terms of the peer to peer Bitcoin buying, they did also limit the amount of cash that you can get that mm-hmm. you can get. There's almost no cash right. um, available. So, um, you know, people were, lining up at banks to try to get money and they've put you know maximums on on withdrawals and and that kind of thing or if you can even get money at all but it's um you know so that's really anytime you see um the financial system kind of choking people out of their banks um you always see somewhat of a flight to bitcoin we saw it in canada um with the truckers we saw it in ukraine when people were leaving um and you know we're seeing that here now Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's anytime that happens, people really lose their minds. They yeah, really, really lose their minds. And I think that's great. That's 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 what it takes for people to understand it. People don't really understand it before that. But uh, all these things are just other steps for Bitcoin to me. Right. Every time something happened in Canada, people got a certain realization. Then we had. Nigeria on the other side of the world, people got that realization. And it seems to be pretty easy for people to digest. Like even during the Canada thing, there were people turned to Bitcoin because there weren't other options and the mm-hmm. Bitcoin worked, right? Right. So the government was able to uh, take the other money, freeze the other bank accounts. And what options did those people have? And without Bitcoin, it would have been next to nothing. I mean, right. they could have gotten cash. People could have rounded up cash, but they were shutting down the ATMs in Canada yeah. at that time. Yeah. And, and so, that's the other thing is that we don't know really to what extent the bank, you know, the banks were cutting that off. You're not going to hear about a bank run. Mm-hmm. 
So we'll see how that plays out. That's interesting, and I think that's some pretty good news. The rolling out of the CBDC is not good news, and we're going to see almost every country do it. Yeah, but the the lack of adoption and and uh, that was the other thing in one of the articles I read that the Nigerian government's actually hired a tech firm based in New York to help them kind of mm-hmm. rework this uh, this failure of a launch. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, can you tell people where to find us, please? Uh, yeah, you can find us at our website at btcbutlers.com, on Twitter at btcbutlers. Uh, DMs are open there. You can email us, info at btcbutlers.com. Um, like Mike said in the beginning, if you liked this, please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, uh, send us questions make comments on YouTube. We'll try to address whatever we can. And um, if you are a Bitcoin owner or new to Bitcoin and you want help implementing Bitcoin best practices, uh, such as how to buy your Bitcoin, how to store your Bitcoin, doing an, an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin and running your own node, uh, Bitcoin Butlers is here and happy to help you do that. So uh, if we can help you, please reach out and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed All right. it. Bye. Bye.